If you're in Africa, you say, hallelujah. <laughs> or you say, in Swahili, you say, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, that's how you begin every introduction, every sermon, every gathering. So praise the Lord. It is so good to be with you again this morning, people of God at Myrtle Grove. What a joy it is to be back. As Stacy shared a few minutes ago, we were here from 1994 to 2000, and you know, the Christian life's a journey, and we've been on a journey, and in that journey, I mean, you can follow your own plan, that's not what the Lord wants you to do, but we, you follow the Lord you know, on that journey, and this journey has brought us back and has brought us really to be a part of a ministry that God has birthed out of Myrtle Grove, Timothy 2, Project International, and we'll share a word or two about that a little bit later, but what a joy it is to be a part of something God is doing and with the ring of people, I mean, this is all such a, such a joy, such a privilege, such an honor for us to be with you again this morning. I, I want to spend my time, though, in the Word of God. I do believe that the Word of God is what God uses to transform our hearts. And so I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, I think it's going to be on the screen, but to, I think you listen with your heart more than your ears, actually. So listen with your heart to the Word of God. I'm reading from the ESV, from John 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Would you pray with me? And Lord God, we're always absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us in any way. And I know, Lord God, that you're here. We've sensed your presence. Lord God, I know that you have a word you've given to me for the people of God here. I know that's true. But we just ask for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit to take this word today and to shine it clearly into the hearts of the people of God that you brought this morning. And so glorify Jesus' name, Lord, through the proclamation of this word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in America, we're quite worried about results. Uh, this happens in all kinds of different ways for all of us, but are we doing things the right way? Do we have enough people? Do we have enough money? Am I a good mother? Am, am I a good father? Am I successful? Am I doing enough? These are the kind of questions that on some level in America plague us all. Now, from a business point of view, I understand the concept. You've you got to produce something in your business or it won't work, right? But often as Christians, what we do is we take a, a, a principle, like a business principle, and we try to spiritualize it or baptize it somehow in the church to make it work spiritually. It doesn't work the same way, however. 
You know, our, our love from our Heavenly Father, it has nothing to do with producing. He loves you, period. He loves you this morning. And in fact, kingdom fruit is not a result of your great efforts, certainly not a result of my great efforts. That's not the way the Lord has worked things out. Yet the church often thinks like this, that their efforts are the key to producing fruit, to producing results. Several years ago, we were interacting with a pastor in the north part of, of Wilmington about sharing a building. And so we brought up the idea because we thought it was a Lord, actually. And his response back to us, quote unquote, was, you do not fit into my growth plans. Now, there are some in the church that actually would applaud that idea. That church probably has grown. But I don't think that's a standard that Jesus uses. I'm not sure. I'm not his judge. The Lord's his judge. Praise God, that's true. But the Lord has a standard, but it's not the same as the standard of our culture. Now, this affects how we think and how we live as Christians. In our passage this morning, Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's leaving them, that he's going to the cross and then to the Father. And they're grieved by this. And in John 14, he tells them this and tells them what he's going to do. And his disciples ask two questions. They're actually pretty dumb questions if you think about it. But he asks two questions, okay? The first question comes from Thomas. And he says, Jesus tells him he's going. He says, how do we get to the place where you're going? And Jesus tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, you don't need a map to get there. You don't need a program to get there. You need to know a person, Jesus. And then Philip follows this up with another question. Uh, well, just show us the Father, Jesus. That, that'll be enough for us. I can just picture Jesus. <laughs> Philip, you've been with me all this time, and you still don't see that I reflect perfectly the Father's, what he tells them. If you see me, you've seen the Father, literally, is what he says there. They don't get it. Now, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you've been given insight into who he is. You, you know him. That's glorious. That's such a good gift to us as the people of God. Well, the Lord wants to meet us where we are, and he wants us to, to see more of who he is, which, which really brings us into chapter 15, because in chapter 15, what Jesus tells us is how we live this Christian life and the answer he gives really is in connection with him. But, but, but listen to me here. Because if you want your life to count, to be significant in the kingdom of God, listen carefully to what the text says. Here's what the text tells us. Here's our theme. As we remain connected to Jesus, he works in and then through us to bear kingdom fruit so he is glorified. Now, I want to take a minute and, and remind you of the picture. It's a familiar picture. Jesus often used pictures, analogies to illustrate spiritual truths. The picture is there's a trunk or a, a, a vine growing out of the ground, and, and off of the vine there are branches that grow, and off of those branches there's fruit. It's not a complicated picture. It's very common in Jesus' day. Our Heavenly Father has designed the Christian life to look like this. He says Jesus is literally the true vine, meaning there are false vines. If you're connected to them, you're not connected to the Lord God. And then he tells them in this picture that the Father is the vine dresser, the master gardener. That's the picture here. And the master gardener is after something. He's after much fruit. That's his goal. Okay, We have to keep the goal of the master gardener in mind as we look at this passage and think about the Christian life. 
The master gardener knows that for branches to bear much fruit, he has to prune them. Now, prune means two things in this passage. First, it means you cut off every wisp or small branch which is not bearing fruit. And you understand the idea in horticulture. You don't want any sap going to branches that are not bearing fruit, so you cut them off, the ones that don't bear fruit. And so all the sap, so you better have more fruit, goes to the branches which are bearing fruit. Now, in this passage, the word you is plural in the Greek, which makes a little bit of difference in how you understand it, because this part of the picture is speaking about people in the church who maybe mentally have assented to the gospel but they're not born again. Let me just suggest to you this morning that there are people all over Wilmington and churches today who have mentally assented to the gospel, but they're not yet born again. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. We know earlier from John, Jesus tells his disciples, no one will come to me unless the Father draws them. So so that's what salvation is about. That's what the Father does. He draws a person to faith in Jesus Christ, so that one receives the gospel by faith. Now, the key evidence as to whether somebody is born again or not, as we say, is kingdom fruit. That's the evidence of whether you know Christ. In fact, it is the will of God, listen to me here, that Christians bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. That's the progression you see in the passage. That's what the Heavenly Father is after in your life and my life. Now, The person who's in the church but bears no fruit is not connected to the vine. And Jesus says what's going to happen. It'll be cut off, it'll wither, it'll be thrown into fire. That's a picture of judgment. And let me just stop for a moment. If you're here this morning, I know some of you, but I don't know many of you, but the Lord knows your heart. He he loves you right where you are. If you're here this morning and you're not certain, I mean in your heart, certain that you have eternal life, don't leave. Please don't leave until you talk to Stacy or one of the elders. They, they can show you very clearly of what this life in Christ looks like. Well, the second thing the master gardener does to prune is he cuts back on branches which have borne fruit in the past year. Now, the purpose of cutting back, I don't know about gardening and stuff. I'm no good at that, but I understand the principle, okay? You cut back so it bears more fruit the next year. Remember the goal of the master gardener? Much fruit. And so that's what the That's what the master gardener does in your life and my life. Now, you're a Christian, you're bearing fruit, God cuts you back. What does that look like? Ouch. That's usually what it looks like, okay? Usually, it means pain. It means difficulty. It means struggle in your life. That's normally the way this works because in your life and my life, we've grown to like things in our lives. You know, we we depend upon them. We're, We're familiar with them, but they're hindering you. They're hindering me from bearing much fruit, from growing in grace. And anything that hinders you in your walk with Jesus, the master gardener knows about it. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to cut it away. Now, he does that because he loves you, okay? That's the motive here. He loves you. And he wants the much fruit to be born in your life. So he won't allow these extraneous things which are in your life to cause you, hinder you from doing what he has called you to himself to do. So the Father prunes us, which means he allows difficulty or hardship or pain into your life, in my life, so we will bear much fruit. Now, let me give you two examples of what this looks like. One example is from my own life. 
In my family growing up, my parents loved my brothers and I, praise God, that's, that's wonderful. But what was really clear to us is if you exceed, if you, if you excel in academics or in sports, they were really proud of you. So you knew they really loved you if you did that. And so what that caused, inside of me at least, is me to, I wanted to take the hill. Because I knew if I took the hill, my parents were proud of me. And I knew they really loved me at that point. You follow? Now, there was a problem. The problem was I had an older brother who didn't just excel. He super excelled. Okay? In academics, he's the kind of guy, he gets 1590 out of 1600 on his SATs. In sports, literally two years ago, he was the fourth fastest swimmer in America in his age bracket. I couldn't measure up. Not even close. I didn't even come close to measuring up. And so what that did inside of me, now I have a great relationship with my family today, great relationship. But, but all the way through, up through college, what that did inside of me is I was struggling with this idea of do I, do I measure up? Am I loved because I can't produce on the same level that my older brother produced? That was the mindset that was going on. And, and God has had to do this work inside of me. He's still doing it, by the way. Okay. To, to, to cut that stuff out of my life because Achieving these things, that's not kingdom, that's self. That's what it's about, you see. That's not what's producing kingdom fruit, so he wants to cut that out of my life so there's more fruit. That's the whole picture here. And so let me fast forward a few years. We're happily pastoring a church in Florence, South Carolina. God has positioned the church to, to have great impact on the community. We're, we're very happy. And at the same time, someone else put my name in a hat for another job in another state in a 2,000-member church, a very large church. And they were interested in us coming. You know, you up to, you know there's a church ladder. And I don't know if you all know that, but there's a church ladder, okay? And so that made sense. Well, at the same time, the presbytery asked us to go back to a small struggling church plant called Northgrove. Now, now humanly speaking, this is not a difficult decision. Do you stay where you are, which is really good, you really like it, it's really, it's very good. Do you climb the church ladder to the church of 2000, or do you go to a struggling church plant? Which one of those makes sense to you? Okay, all right. The problem is, as Ann and I began to pray and fast and seek the Lord on this, we became convinced that he wanted us to go to the struggling church plant. Now, for this to happen, something had to happen here first. I had to die to my ambition, I'm telling you. I had to die to my ambition. People say, well, is ambition bad? Well, if ambition, ambition is about self-advancement, then yes, it's sin. And in my life, it was sin, let me just tell you, okay? So the Lord humbled me. That needed to happen, okay? He humbled me, and I had to die to my ambition. Well, fast forward to today. There is... I'm sure Dan and Beth experienced this too. There's so much fruit. We can't even begin to describe to you what we're seeing God do. Now, it's not us. It's God is doing a great work as we train pastors and children's ministry workers. But I'm very convinced that if God had not caused me, called me to die to my ambition, we would not see the level of spiritual fruit we see today. Let me give you one other quick example. George and Cynthia, you, you don't know them. We know them very well. 
They were members of the church. They were growing in Christ, very solid people. George had a very good job in a, in a business in the community. We were taking a short-term mission to China, and so we just announced it and said, pray, and anybody that feels led, come with us. And so he just felt like the Holy Spirit was leading him to go. It was a fantastic short-term mission. George got back, and he began to pray, because he was more zealous for Christ again, and, and, and he wanted to make a difference. And he said, Lord, what do I do with, with what I've just experienced? How do I respond to this? And his company downsized. Now, if you're 50-something years old, you know what downsized means, right? That means you lost your job, okay? <laughs> so, so George lost his job, and he said, well, Lord, you made that part pretty clear, okay? Now, what, what's, what's next? What would you have us do? And they began to raise support to, to head to China. And, and many things happened along the way, but their first term in China was great. They came back after four years, wonderful ministry for four years, planning on a six-month furlough and heading back. Well, he had headaches. George had headaches. So he went to the doctor and he found out he had a brain tumor. Yeah. So six months has turned into three years of operation, radiation. They just have gone back to China recently. What's that about? I mean, I mean, these are faithful people of God. They're seeking to be obedient. They've laid everything aside, struggled, raised support, gone to the mission field, and the Lord at least allowed a brain tumor. We believe in the sovereignty of God, right, Stacy? Okay. <laughs> he at least allowed that. What's up with that? Well, let me, I don't know all the details of what God's doing, but let me suggest to you that God prunes fruits that bear, that bear he prunes, excuse me, branches that bear fruit, Okay. And that George and Cynthia's ministry in China is going to be very, very, very effective from this point on. Bring us to our, our second point this morning. It's about fruit. Jesus tells them in verse 3 that he's made them clean by his word. You know how that works, I think. The, the word of God, God gives you his word. He, he gives you faith to believe it, receive it, and it transforms your heart. That's the way the word of God works inside of us. Well, then he tells them in verse 4, he, in fact, commands them, abide in me or remain in me. It's, it's, a, it's a command. It's in the imperative. Now, he's speaking about this connection that we have now that we know Jesus Christ. You, you, you know this probably, but the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you if you belong to Jesus Christ. You, you literally belong to him. I mean, all of you belongs to Jesus, right? And so this unalterable connection that we have now with Jesus Christ is the key to the abundant life Jesus came to give to us. So we believe it with our minds. I believe what the Word of God says. With, with our wills, we, 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 we trust in the grace of God. It's, God, I need your grace. I do. Okay. I need your grace to be able to live this Christian life in a way that would please you, that, so I could follow you with all my heart. And so we pray for that, and we set our hearts and our minds to obey it. And each day, that's what the Christian life looks like in this connection with the Lord our God. Well, let me tell you, the way this works for me is I set aside time every morning, every morning, did you hear that? Okay. <laughs> to worship and be in the Word of God. Why? Because of what Jesus tells us here in other passages. The only way... The only way, Christian, for you to have a significant impact, an eternal impact, is for you to abide in the vine. There's no other way. The only way to abide in the vine, I believe, is for us as the people of God, is, is to ask the Spirit of God to do a work through the Word of God to change us, transform us. That's the way it works. 
Now, when that transformation of the word of God transforms you inside of you, then he gives you the strength, the ability then to begin to abide in him more and more. If you don't make this daily choice of being in the word of God, you're not going to bear as much fruit biblically. That's just a true statement. So you can, you can do business with the Lord on that however you, he leads you to do that. But then I intercede for things that are on my heart, and, and I live my day. But I live my day, I seek to live my day at least, in connection to the vine. I, I want the Holy Spirit to be leading me. Now, sometimes you sense that, sometimes you don't, but you live your life. Everywhere you go, you're, you're acknowledging his presence with you. Now, the alternative, and I see this all the time with Christians, is you pray and receive Christ by faith, through his grace, and then you try to live the Christian life in your own power, okay? I, I see it all the time. That's the way many people actually seek to live their lives as Christians, but it doesn't work. And when we do this, we're, we're, when we're walking in our flesh like this, the Holy Spirit hasn't left you. He's still in you. He still loves you. You've left him, all right? That's, that's, that's really what's happened. In other words, you're not acknowledging that you're connected to the vine in this connection that you need to see fruit take place in and through your life. And even as one who seeks to live each moment of each day connected to the vine, goodness gracious, I've proven this more times than I can confess to you. Something can happen, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm worshiping, if something will happen, I'm in my flesh, okay? Now what happens when you're in your flesh, Christian? Well, well two things, really. You miss the joy of walking with Jesus in those moments because you're in your flesh. And secondly, there's no spiritual fruit going to be born in your life. Uh, the scripture says flesh gives birth to what? Flesh. You can be leading a Bible study. If you're in your flesh, it's going to give birth to what? Flesh. That's the way it works, okay? Spirit gives birth to spirit. That's what the scripture teaches us. And so if you're walking by the Spirit, if you're walking connected to the vine, there's going to be fruit. Fruit happens, okay? Fruit takes place. It's not your great efforts. It's because you're connected to the vine. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so it's God's will for you individually and for Myrtle Grove as a church to bear much good fruit. That's the will of God. Amen? Okay, that's the will of God. Now, what's good fruit? Well, good fruit means when you are with some people, they, the Holy Spirit's doing something. You may not even be aware of it. I mean, that's, that's not the point. I think two-thirds of the time we're not aware of it, maybe 90% of the time, I don't know. But the Holy Spirit's doing something. When they leave your presence, been, they've been blessed. They've been encouraged. They've been strengthened. Maybe it's a non-Christian you've been spending time with. They, they know that you love them. That They know that's true. They may not be able to verbalize it even, but they sense that. And because they know you love them, there are many open doors for the gospel, you see, for you to proclaim who Christ is in your life. A few months ago, we were doing... A, training pastors and children's ministry workers in a refugee camp. It's very large, 100,000 people in this refugee camp. It's in Tanzania on the border of Burundi and Congo. And so we went into the refugee camp and we're in this small church building, I'll put that in quotes, because it's mud brick about 20 by 18 or something size. There's windows, but no glass. 
And because the white people, the Mzungus, okay, are there, <laughs> that's what they call us in Swahili, the Mzungus are there, so in every window there's three or four faces of kids, okay, so you're looking around, and there's about 10 or 15 gathered around the door because the attraction is there, the, the white folks. And so Anne, this is not an exaggeration, this is literally true, Anne is teaching the children's ministry workers about how much Jesus loves the children, and that Jesus wants the children to be near us, near him, is what he said. And at the same time, I watch as one of the children's ministry workers and one of the pastors I'm about to train, they run out the door and they angrily chase away all the kids. <laughs> and so Anne and I look at each other like, this is not good. <laughs> okay. And so on the way back to the guest house that day, we talked to our translator, Pastor Theos, and we said, um, we prayed, Jesus, what do we do with this? And we, we knew, we knew. So we told Pastor Theos, the next time kids come, we're going to stop. I don't care what we're doing. I don't care who we're training. We're going to stop. We're going to go outside and minister to the kids. That's what we're going to do. So the next day, we get there. There's no kids. They've been chased away. The third day, we get there, and there's 15 kids waiting. Fantastic. So I told Pastor Theos, now, you know where the children's ministry workers are. They're sitting in the church building. The kids are afraid to go in there, so they're outside. Okay, do you have the picture? Okay. I said, Pastor Theos, go in and get the children's ministry workers and bring them out. I didn't think the kids would go in, actually. More kids start coming. And because I didn't want to use translation because I thought it would hinder the ministry, I said, now, Pastor Theos, you use the wordless book to explain the gospel. You know the, your wordless book? It's colors. You know, blue represents heaven. We want to be in heaven with Jesus. Black represents darkness of sin. Red, the blood of Jesus that covers all of our sin. White, we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Green, we grow in our faith and walk with Christ. And so he takes some time with these 28 kids that come now, explains the gospel very clearly in Swahili, asks one of the older children to explain it, which was a great idea. We didn't tell him, he, he just did that. And he helps this older child as the older child is explaining the gospel to the younger children. He gets them all in a big circle and they all pray a sinner's prayer. 28 kids. Praise God. Yeah. Now. And that by itself is a, is a praise God. But the other thing that's taking place is the children's ministry workers are watching this, okay? They've seen that God's doing a work, and, and it's something they can do too. And so when we were done, we, we loved on the kids and gave them some candy and all that kind of stuff, and then we went back inside, and I debriefed with the children's ministry workers to see, make sure they understood some of what God did in that moment. Now, what would have happened if we had kept to the program, okay, the program's to train, we didn't know kids were going to be there, to train children's ministry workers. What would have happened? They continued to chase, angrily chase the kids away, and we're training, but we're training the children's ministry workers. We're keeping to the program. Okay. God had a program, right? God had a plan that day. The key is this, though. We were seeking to abide in the vine. That, that's all we did. And, and when we started to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want us to do? We, we knew what he wanted us to do. We knew what Jesus wanted us to do, and, and we just followed. Jesus did the work, and kids came to faith in Christ that day. Children's ministry workers were trained. The kingdom of God was extended, was expanded. Praise God. Now, Christian, it's not your ability. It's not even your training. Training is good. That's what I do, okay? Training is not wrong. Get, get trained. But that isn't it. It's being connected to the vine. That's what makes the difference in the Christian life. 
Let me go to our last point. Just give me another minute here because in verse 7 and 8, Jesus says something very significant that's often misunderstood. He tells them what this looks like when, when we're connected to the vine. We call it prayer. Now, my experience in the church in America, this is a generalization. I'm not saying it's about Myrtle Grove. I'm not sure. I don't know. But the church in America doesn't pray corporately very much. We just don't. In Africa, Friday night, most churches pray all night. Most churches pray all night. They have several other times where they corporately gather for prayer. I don't know what's taking place here. But what's the key, I believe, is because churches in America tend to trust in our own programs and our own technology. We trust in our own abilities sometimes. And so we, we develop this great program and then we set it up, and it's set up very well, and then we pray for 30 seconds, say, God, would you bless this program? And then we wonder why there's no power in the church. What Jesus is saying here, as far as I can understand it, is we start with a connection to the vine, which means we fall on our faces before God before we do anything else. We, we surrender our, all of our plans to him, because I don't want my plan. I don't want your plan either, by the way. Okay, I want Jesus' plan. That's the only one that's going to work anyway. And, and then we, we, we ask him to do this work through us. And he shows you what you're supposed to do. Because Jesus alone can save. I can't save you. I can't do it. Stacy can't do it. Can't do it. And then Jesus builds this church. Uh, I tell pastors in Africa all the time, Stacy, you know, I can't find the verse in the Bible that says, Stacy, build my church. <laughs> Praise God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Amen? So what does that look like? Well, we seek him, okay? He's got the plan, right? He's got the plan. And so we seek in a relationship we call prayer, we seek him. And what Jesus tells us in verse 7 and 8 is if we're seeking him in prayer like this, and his word, if you abide in me, and my word abides, dwells, lives, takes up residence, inside of you. Now, I've already said this, but there's only one way for that to happen. You know the word, okay? You're, you're chewing on it every day, so it becomes a part of your life. If that's the case, he says, then ask, and it will be done for you. So what's taking place here? Well, often what I hear in prayer meetings in America is we're telling God what he's supposed to do, okay? <laughs> that misses the point, okay? What prayer is about is about a relationship, that God has given to us with himself. It's a wonderful, it's, an, it's, a, it's a beautiful relationship, a dynamic relationship, and we're seeking his will. I want to know what's on his heart. And when he shows me something on his heart, that's what I pray back to him. And I know that I have it because that's his will. That's what Jesus says we're to do. So as we seek him in this vibrant relationship, Jesus, by the Spirit, shows us what we need to say. We pray this back to him, and we know that we have his will. We know it will be done. And you know what happens then? Much fruit. That's what it says in the text. That's the Father's will. Much fruit takes place when we live like this. Now, Stacy, I think, has been preaching through the book of Acts on a missional lifestyle. This is a missional lifestyle. It is. Because what's on the heart of our God? To seek and save the lost. And so if you're abiding in him, I already know what's going to be on your heart. You're going to want to seek and save the lost, right? That's what you're going to want to do. And when you go out, I don't care if you go to your job, or you're going to the store, it doesn't matter. Your eyes are up and you're looking. What are you doing, Lord? How can you use me today? You're watching to see ways that 
God is working so you can join him in what he is doing. And much fruit is born. That is the missional lifestyle as I understand it. Now, it affects every decision we make, my friends. Let me just give you one closing story. When we first came back to Wilmington, Ann was working in the Salt Shaker Christian bookstore, and we knew before the public knew, we knew it was going to close. And because we had taken the church plant and, and a reduction in salary, the, the income was really, really, really helpful. And so we started seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, uh, how are you going to provide? What, what, what are we supposed to do with this? And the Lord put it, I'm sure, put it in my heart and mind to email. I know the head librarian in Burgau very well. And I emailed him and said, Mike, do you have any job openings? Because my wife's gifts fit very well in that kind of setting. He said, as a matter of fact, we do. Send her up for an interview. And so we were praying, of course. We were seeking the mind of the Lord. Lord, what do you have in mind? What do you want us to do? And we both came to strong conviction. This is, this is God's provision for us. We, we knew it was God's provision for us. There was zero doubt in our hearts and minds. So she went up to the interview, great interview, and she didn't get the job. So we're like, <clears throat> okay, Lord. Now, either we missed you, which is possible. I don't think anybody has you know, got, got a perfect pipeline, okay? <laughs> either we missed you. That's not what we sensed in our spirits. Or they missed you or something else. So show us what to do. So we continued to seek the Lord for a couple of weeks. And I got another email from the head librarian named Mike. It's so funny. I could still, I wish I would have copied it. But, but the first, dear Brian, stop praying. That's what he said. Okay. <laughs> he said, two more people have quit. He said, and I know it's because you guys are praying. So Anne went in and she interviewed for this job. The job she got, listen to this. It's a better fit for her gifts, and it pays more, the job she got, okay? Now, the whole point, the whole point is this, okay? Abide in the vine. That's what we wanted to do. That's all we wanted to do. We just wanted to abide in the vine. Lord, what's, what's your provision? How are you going to work this out? I have no idea. You need to show us. We came to a conviction. I really believe this is the mind of the Lord. She, Anne had the same conviction separately we also prayed together, but we knew this was the mind of the Lord. And then we stepped out, and God did his thing. Now, we missed the timing of it, but that's okay. That's how we live the Christian life, my friends. And I want you to see that fruit happens when we abide in the vine, when our focus is on the vine, not the fruit. We're fruit gazers. Get your eyes off the fruit, Myrtle Grove. Get your eyes off the fruit. The vine, the vine, the cross, that's the focus. When you focus on the vine, the cross, God does a work, a powerful work, a great work, a kingdom work, and kingdom fruit takes place. You know, for years, there's been a lot of kingdom fruit that's come out of Myrtle Grove. And this is talking about you as an individual and the church, okay, the you is plural, kingdom fruit. There's a lot of spiritual fruit that God has born through Myrtle Grove. He's not done yet. He's not finished, people of God. The key is this. Are you going to abide in the vine or not? That's the only question. He'll bear the fruit. You don't worry about the fruit even. He'll bring the fruit. Now, I, I believe that we respond to the Word of God. And so, uh, I'm just going to invite the worship team. I don't know how you all do this, but you all can start making your way back up. 
And maybe, Dean, you could play underneath for, for a few moments. And I want us just to do business with the Lord. I mean, whatever he speaks to your heart, praise God. That's what we want. If there are elders around who want to just be available for, for prayer, that's very appropriate, I think. You know, elders, I tell the congregation, elders don't necessarily pray better. They have spiritual authority in this church. That's why we ask elders and their wives to receive people for prayer. You can, I don't think there's one way to respond. You can pray with the person beside you. That may be what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. But if you need prayer, you need somebody to agree with you about something, respond. So music team, come on up. I'm going to pray, and then maybe you can go into your last song. Elders, come on up, and your wives, however you do that here. Let's, let's, let's respond to the Lord. I'm going to invite you. Come. Thank you, Father. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. And Lord, thank you so much for your word and how it changes us, our God. I am different. I'm different today than I was in 2000, the, the day I left Myrtle Grove. I'm different today because of the word of God. I know that's true. It's something that you've done. It's a work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And I'm not the only one that needs that here, Lord. I, we all need that work to be done in us, so we ask for it. Lord, I pray for my dear friends that are here today, especially for that, that one who's, who's really wrestling in his or her heart about whether he's born again. Lord, I pray for that one first, Lord God, that you would open ears, open eyes, open the, their heart to receive the truth of the gospel, the work that Christ has done so powerfully that we might know you as our God. I also pray for many other dear friends and those that I don't know, but they're my brothers and sisters, Lord, because they know you. Do that work inside of them, God, that they need in this moment. Holy Spirit, glorify your name. Glorify Jesus' name, Lord, in this place, in our response to you. We want to bear much fruit. I, I do. I, I, I believe my friends that know you do too. And for Myrtle Grove as a church, Lord, I don't know what your plans are exactly, but I believe with all my heart that you have much fruit to bear through Myrtle Grove. You're not done. You're not finished. You have a work you're doing. And so do that very work to its fullness, oh God, to its fullness. We ask for that, Lord God. Everything you have in mind to do, Lord, in and through your church, we pray you do it, that you would gain glory. Lord, now I'm not talking about numbers. You know my heart on this. I'm talking about ministry that happens in people's lives and many ministries that are taking place and have been birthed through Myrtle Grove. We pray for that, oh God, for your own name's sake. And I thank you, Father. I just thank you for hearing our prayers for the answers you're going to give beyond what we're able to ask or even imagine in Christ Jesus. And I ask this in his name. Amen.